Hello and welcome to Astrology and Stuff, where we try to talk about serious subjects without taking ourselves too seriously. My name is Sampriti. I'm your host and sacred clown today. Thank you for being here. Well, friends, we got through that first half <laughs> of my chart uh, last week. And I say got through because um, to a, a person who seems to be just continuously allergic to greater and greater uh, depths of vulnerability, um, that was a big one. So thank you for all the feedback you've given me uh, in the meantime. And I'm looking forward to diving into part two. Um, before that, though, uh, I am an astrologer. If this is your first time here, uh, I'm an astrologer. I work with uh, people uh, and their natal charts. I work with transits, um, what, what you may be going through right now. Uh, that's what transits are, um, how the present movement of the planets are affecting your fixed natal charts uh, aspects. Um, I also love doing charts for couples, whether they are domestic or business partners. I love doing children's charts for their parents. Um, as a parent myself, it's been... Uh, like not a week goes by that I don't open up my my kids' charts to kind of dive in to see what they're experiencing and therefore how I can support them uh, in the best way possible. All of these offerings are up at my website, astrogeomantica.net. And if you would like to support the show itself, um, you can head on over to Patreon. I have a couple of tiers there for financial support. Um, the higher tier gets you a weekly uh, additional uh, podcast episode because I tried to keep it at 15 minutes, but I know it's me. So most of these episodes on the Patreon, the transit talks, um, they are well over 30 minutes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I take you into a deepish dive of that week's uh, astrology and how it may be affecting you in your neck of the woods. Um, if you would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, you can always uh, like the show and subscribe to the show, follow the show, um, maybe write me a five-star review. And if you have anything less than a five-star review, please don't hesitate to reach out with any questions or desires for clarity or even, you know, constructive criticism. Um, hit me up on Instagram at Life, and um, I'd love getting to know anybody and everybody who happens to be listening to this. So... With that out of the way, uh, let me not procrastinate anymore and dive back into the subject at hand. This is a part two of, uh, of a two-part episode. Um, part one was my first foray into breaking down the structure of uh, reading a natal chart. And if you don't know what a natal chart is, that is the, sometimes it's called a birth chart, an astrology chart, a star chart, sometimes it's called. And it is the 2D depiction of what was going on in the sky the second that you were born 
and you know where you were born. So um, in order to get your natal chart, you would need to know your date and time and location of birth. A lot of people have a hard time finding their birth time. Um, I go over kind of the tips and the tricks of, of ex- having that experience in one of the primary episodes of, of astrology and stuff. So if you haven't listened um, to the episodes up until now, might want to go back to the beginning and start there. But last week, I was diving into my own chart because and I started with my chart um, because that is how most of us begin our our uh, study into astrology, you know, normally, you know, we look, we hear about it, we get curious, something opens up in us and we go look up our own information and we, ex- and that's honestly Everything that we experience, everything that we learn mentally, um, we are learning all of the other ways too. And that's why I like to say experience as much as I say things like that are more mentally centered uh, or cognitively centered, mind centered, um, i.e., you know, understanding. We understand not just with our brains, but we understand first with our bodies. We understand next with our emotions. Um, we understand first with our senses and then maybe we understand with our minds. But as we as individuals and as a collective are kind of deconditioning from the mind and logic and rationality, limited la- rationality sense of that hierarchical sense of being um, and expanding into all of the ways of capital K knowing that we have at our disposal um, and becoming coming into awareness of all of these, I think it's important to expand our vocabulary to to reflect that as well. So um, the easiest way, the primary way that we relate to astrology is through our own natal charts. So I decided to start there. And plus, it was decidedly uncomfortable. So I thought, what the hell? Let's let's take a jump, jump off the vulnerability uh, cliff and see what happens. And so last time I covered um, Pluto and uh, my sun placement and the nodes. And I'm moving through the natal charts specific to, or at least my natal chart this first time around, specifically in a format that I learned, I was taught, and that I practice pretty to the letter for the first couple of years of reading charts for others. And that is through the evolutionary astrology way as um, I learned via my teachers and um, Jeffrey Wolfgreen and his lineage before him. So we are leaving off, we left off on the rising sign and characteristic of my uh, Mercury and Pisces, I'm not going to start off with the rising sign <laughs> as promised. I'm actually going to start off with my moon and because I left off on my sun and sun, moon and rising. These are the big, they call them the big three for a reason. They are what takes up the most immediate space in our human experience, how we relate to ourselves and to the world around us. Um, and so I'd kind of, I kind of, I really want to 
try to communicate that by kind of mishmashing the rising sign and and the moon sign, um, kind of going back and forth. We'll see what happens um, as I start to talk about it. So let's start off with my moon. Uh, my moon is, I'm a Pisces moon. My moon, um, I would look to the top of my chart for my moon. It's at 25 degrees Pisces in my 10th house. So if you remember, my sun is at three degrees Aries, also in my 10th house. So my sun and my moon are five, seven degrees away from each other. Um, and that means on, a, on one perspective, that means I was born in a balsamic moon phase. So a very, very late stage of the lunation phase. Uh, my husband and partner is even later stage. He, he, I think his moon is four degrees Pisces and his sun is seven degrees Pisces. So both of us were, were born at the, on an, on the day of, cause we were both born in pretty late morning, middle of the day. Um, a couple of hours later that day, then the, for me, the Aries new moon, um, would happen. And for in his chart, it would be a Pisces new moon, um, would be happening. So we're both new moon. You could technically say within the, the 24 hour period, new moon babies, but we're balsamic new moon babies. We're right at the tail end of that, uh, of that lunation. And there are, I love, uh, studying, the diff- I, I don't love studying, but I love reading about other people who have studied and communicated um, kind of the specifics of uh, people who are born at different areas of the lunation. Um, I love I, I love reading charts for people who are born on a full moon because it's oppositional. It's a it's not an experience that I have. Um, so since I am speaking from I, um, I'm going to talk about my experience with having a, uh, a, a very balsamic moon. So when we talk about the sun and the moon and our rising, um, it's hard to talk about because these are, I, I use this metaphor all the time, but it's like a fish trying to talk about water. It's just always there. <laughs> and, um, and it's like, what do you talk about when you're just, sur- it's just all you know and you're surrounded by. So I'm going to do my best here. But folks born and myself, you know, speaking from I, born on a very late moon or a, balsam- a balsamic moon, there's just kind of nothing we don't know. And I'm not saying that from an egoic place. I'm trying to say that from as neutral a place as possible of, of, and especially, so I'll, I'll speak to the Pisces, Aries, balsamic, you know, Pisces, moon, Aries, sun, balsamic in, in a few sentences, but that first layer of, um, there's a, we're finishing out the lunation, we're finishing out the cycle and living with somebody, you know, being in a, an 18 year long relationship with somebody who has both his sun and his moon and his Mercury in Pisces, which is the, it's the ultimate sign. Go back to listen to, to Pisces, uh, 
that episode that I love that episode and I and I focus a lot on the like the ultimateness of Pisces it's the last stop it's the it's the culmination of everything before letting go and dissolving um there there's an element of that in the Pisces already but then you get into the the last there's a um we're working with cycles within cycles within cycles remember and it's like a balsamic moon is the Pisces of the lunation. If a if a new moon baby or like a, you know, if I was at, if my sun was at three degrees Aries and my moon was at like 10 degrees Aries, that's a new moon baby. You know, um, uh, if my, you know, I had an Aries sun and my moon was in Libra, that's a full moon baby. Um, those are different aspects that those, those people communicate different aspects uh, inherent to that degree of lunation, okay? Whether it's more like confrontational, whether it is more, you know, you got your squaring off or a first quarter moon or a last quarter moon, um, th- those crises of consciousness that are inhabited by the squares, the the balsamic element of that is, it's just, for the way that I, I describe it within myself, it's just more Pisces, it's just more like, yeah, been here, done that, been there, done that. Um, uh, no, this is familiar. Everything, there's nothing that is not familiar. Um, and even if it's initially familiar, give it a, uh, if it's initially unfamiliar or surprising, give it a minute and you can always kind of trace it back to that other thing that you experienced internally and you're like oh yeah this this is how that's connected that way got it got it got it so like there's just this this element of like not surprise and there's this element of um one of my teachers described it you know it's the crone it's the crone phase of of the moon and um i I like to say I'm, i'm the croniest of the crone um as you know my my husband's even cronier than i am uh because he's even that much closer to that um that culmination of the dark moon or within the dark moon and um and so if you if you think of the crone if you think of the wise woman um she's seen it all she's experienced it all she and again not from a hierarchical standpoint but simply from just living through it having the experience having the grit to come through it and to have that that balsamic moon in the sign of pisces there's just this extra level of liminality uh meaning the space in between that um that adds that adds to that vibe and then on top of it I'm not only straddling, my, my moon and my sun is not only straddling, um, you know, the balsamic moon, uh, but it's also straddling the zodiacal gap itself, that zodiacal void, that unknown between the end of one cycle and the beginning of another, the birth of another, i.e. Pisces and then Aries again. And my moon is right at the end of Pisces and my sun is right at the beginning of Aries. What does that feel like? Well, in order to better describe that, let's describe the functionality of the moon and the chart. The moon is the internalization, okay, of literally everything, everything that we experience. The moon it rules as the planetary, the luminary ruler of the sign of Cancer, 
uh, rules the fourth house. And so if you remember back to our Cancerian conversation uh, within as we traveled through the Zodiac, that is where this is the first, the, the fourth sign rather of the Zodiac and the first water sign. And it's where we come into, where we birth our emotions. Our emotions are birthed our emotional selves, our emotional life, the fascia in our body, it that governs, is, is the physical formation of this governorship that I'm talking about. Um, this wisdom, this the we come into an initial relationship, a cardinal relationship with the wisdom of water and what it is to be a water bearer. Um, not the literal water bearer like Aquarius. I don't want to confuse you, but literally what it is to have an emotional self. We can't have an emotional self unless we have an internal self. And we can't have an internal self unless there is a barrier that helps separate the internal from the external. So up until the moon time or cancer, we have just been floating around developmentally with with all else, all the other consciousnesses. All, all consciousness is one until we erect a barrier in the sign of cancer, the archetype of cancer, in order to gain a, a more nuanced experience, i.e. we split that, that one consciousness into internal and external. In the, in the next cardinal sign, i.e. Libra, this compounds on itself by, by, by fractalizing it even further into self and other via the relationship structure and via the relationship context and so but first we come into this fractalization this separation and i'm going to be repeating that word often in inside of this explanation through the development of the ego the ego is that barrier that separates self from all other okay from all other consciousness so the ego is if we are agreeing to a human existence, a human incarnation, which is what the soul wants in order to further evolve and transform, we we have to agree to an ego. And the ego deaths that we're talking, that you hear, you know, talked about in um, self-development and psychology and, and uh, spirituality and, you know, new age stuff, so, a lot of those ego deaths, what we're describing, like, you know, taking an, a heroic dose of, of, of psychedelics, of some psychedelics, it can give you a sort of ego death in that the ego is, is taken off of the conditioned pedestal, or off of the pedestal for a brief period that we have been conditioned to place it upon. Um, and so the ego death that happens inside of like ayahuasca trips and high doses of psilocybin, et cetera, where we just, we experience, we have that experience of being one with everything. It's not a complete dissolution of the ego or else we, you know, we'd, you'd have a psychotic break and you would, um, you know what, I'm going to go down that rabbit trail at a different time. Um, <laughs> so for the purposes of Cancerian development and our experience of the moon, the ego is incredibly necessary and helpful because it gives us the ability to internalize. 
It gives us the ability to have an interior life, okay? And that is that is fundamental to human existence. So our experience with the moon, our experience with our fourth house placements, our experience with our cancer placements, but most embodied with the moon, our experience with the moon, our moon, is one of simultaneous pleasure and pain. Because when we are relating to and with our moon and relating through our moon and trying to gain understanding of our moon placement and the sign in which it lives, etc., we are talking about the pleasure that the moon, that we derive from the moon, you know, the moon's existence in our chart, i.e. the pleasure of having a sense of self. The pleasure of being able to have that healthy psychology, that that very healthy and intact ego that allows us to create an inner world through sublimating the outer world. Like everything that is happening outside of us, we have the power, natural, 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 conscious and unconscious, mostly unconscious power, of that external world, you know, coming into that semi-permeable membrane uh, of our ego and becoming something internal. We create something out of that external world that is completely new and completely individual to us because it is our own internalization. It is our interior life. And it's meant to be interior it's not meant to be everybody else's. It's meant to be all our own. That's the pleasure part. The pain side of that coin is by creating a barrier between self and everything else, we have created a sort of separation. And this is another reason why the moon Cancer, fourth house, this is all matriarchal archetype. This is mother archetype. Capricorn, Saturn, 10th house, father archetype. This is mother archetype. This is an embodiment of that primary wound of separation from our mother. Okay? Do we, do, does the human in us want to be gestated by our mother for years and years and years and years? No. We come, we come out, we want to come out. We, we, you know, not on a, a conscious infant level, but you know what I'm talking about. We are meant to be born at a certain time. We are not meant to be gestated for our entire incarnation, okay? We are meant to be born. We are meant to become separate. And think of your childhood. Think If you have toddlers, think of how your, your kid is just like always running away from you, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and and then that just gets increasingly more dramatic the older the child becomes, like into teenager years, etc. So we have this, we're not, you know, on one level, we're not, we don't want to, we want to be separated. We are driven to be separated. But like on the soul level and on the energetic level, there's always a wound there of separation, and that's why we all have mom issues. No matter what the story looks like on paper, we 
all have mom issues because at the very core, we there's a separation anxiety. And there has to be because there had to be a human relational archetype to reflect the separation anxiety on the existential level. We, each of us, have a core to that core wound of separation from the place, uh, from the aspect of being separated from source. At the very beginning of consciousness, we were all one. We were were all source in a very literal way. And I talk about this in the beginning episodes um, of the podcast. And Source decided to source decided that it wanted to experience itself in fractalized ways, in ways that required separation. And honestly, in the in the time and the space of the universe, it's probably a very brief separation. But it to us, you know, as smaller and smaller and smaller beings, um, it feels like it, it is. It, it's it's experienced in our three D as eternity, as eternal. But honestly, it's probably just a blip, right? In multiversal time, so to speak. Um, So getting back to the point, our experience with our moon is where we live out this simultaneous kind of stew of desiring to be separate and and mourning the grief of that separation, you know, having grief over that separation. Um, And so my moon, um, let me, let me go back to what, let me remember what I wanted to say. So when you look at your moon in your chart, the way that you internalize, the way that you the, the kind of the wallpaper of your interior life, the way you decorate it, the way you experience it, what candles you want burning, if at all, uh, what you want on the TV or what kind of music uh, you want on in your interior life, that kind of the vibe, that's going to depend on obviously the sign that your moon is in um, and how you express that and where in your life you really express that internal life, that internalization function um, is going to be like which house your moon is in. And the level of, again, non-hierarchical, non-judgmental use of the word maturity. Okay. There is, in this conversation, there's no such thing as right or wrong or bad or good. Okay. And so when I say maturity, You know, I have a three degrees Aries sun. I have nearly the most immature sun that you can have in in astrology, okay? Because Aries is the first sign and I'm only three degrees in. So I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm I'm not self, when I say I have an immature sun, I'm not being self-deprecatory, if that's the way you say that word. Um, And so on the other side of things, I'm not saying that because I have a nearly ultimate, uh, you know, 25 degrees Pisces moon, I'm not saying that I'm super, super mature and better. I'm saying that moon has seen every, nearly everything, absolutely nearly everything. And so the degree mark of your moon and where it is in the lunation cycle, the lunar cycle, um, is going to give you an experience of like what to expect of your interiority. Like, do you have, 
um, opera music playing in your in your moon or in your interior life, or do you have uh, you know Taylor Swift playing playing in your interior life? And again, like no right or wrong, no bad or good. Divorce yourself from your judgments. Um, let's be real with who we are, okay? Because mine's dusty in there. It is dusty. There are cobwebs everywhere. And you know what? That's the way I like it. Because I'm a crone. (laughs) I'm a crone through my moon. I'm the croniest of the crone. And then there's this big void as uh because then we we look at um obviously the sign and the placement and the degree mark of the moon but we look at the relationship of the moon to the sun primarily and then to uh, all of the other things and because i i have i have this really interesting bridge from my interior life at the last last moments the last hours of the zodiacal wheel into my my arena for authentic creative self-expression, the output as it is, or as it were, the sun in the very first degrees of the beginning of the next cycle. So like what gives there? What gives? Well, the best way that I can I can explain it um, is with another modality. And I hope that that it lands for some of you, or at least that I, I hope that I can explain it in a way that it lands for some of you. So in human design, you have a, a profile number and or you have two numbers that describe your profile and there are 12 different iterations of, or combinations of these. And I happen to be the one where there's like the least of them, apparently. Um, I'm a 6-3. And without going too far down this, this road, the 6 number is the number that describes my my mind or my consciousness and the three number is what describes my my body or my unconsciousness okay not meant to be conscious <laughs> um and six threes like they're and the number doesn't go higher than six and it's broken up into two um two chunks and so you go like one, two, three is a chunk, like one line, one line, two, line, three is a chunk. And then there's a separation and then there's lines four, five and six and lines like one and four, like the bottom of each chunk, they have similarities. OK, so the bottom lines have similarities, one and four. Uh, the middle lines have some similarities, two and five. And then the top lines three and six, they have some similarities. And third lines, so my unconscious third lines, we're meant to just just play in the mud. We are meant to try everything out. We fail at literally everything, but there's no such thing as failure. So what do we say instead? We play and we experiment at literally everything without a desire for a particular outcome because there's no such thing as failure. There's no such thing as localized success. There's no such thing as the only right outcome. So we're unattached to that. Oh, I'm meaning, I'm not talking about like, that's the way I experience it. That's, I'm talking about when I have deconditioned um to a point that I maybe could experience it this way, this is how I would experience it. 
but the act of like deconditioning from everything that told you that you have to, that failure is the biggest thing to fear and that it means that you're going to be alone and it means that you're bad and da, 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 da. Deconditioning from all that bullshit, horse shit. It's not even bullshit. It's horse shit because horse shit is stronger. There's just a, a stronger sense of, of this just ridiculous in horseshit that doesn't exist in bullshit. <laughs> um, so that's like the three line is like my unconscious. It's my body. It's my human. I equate that. And again, this is this is just my experience. It's not what any book said. I equate that with my Aries son. Like my Aries son, I just I want to go out. I want to do let's play. Oh, my God. I'm the toddler. Let's run out and let's just make all the mud pies and let's let's build a business and then just like abandon it and let's, you know, build, you know, spend 10 years in this career. And the second that we become aware that we are done, we just leave and don't even look back. Let's play, but but let's bring all of this treasure that we learned through all of these experiences. We feel rich. Yes, we have a line of of just ended relationships with businesses and projects, but look at my arms are full. My arms are full of the treasure that I of experience that I received within the, the, the times that I spent in those careers and relationships and projects, okay? So that's like my, my Aries son, that's my, my body. And then there's my six-line mind or my consciousness that I believe describes my Pisces moon, my 25 degrees Pisces moon very, very well in that the six-line in human design, it's called role model, but it's, it's like this. It's not even, I've heard it described that it's not even a part of the other five. It literally is just this, this, this being that has um, moved through all of the other lines and has that experience. So it can't possibly relate to any of the, those other lines, uh, it has to, in order to fulfill its function, it has to separate itself a little bit. In just because in being separate, it becomes the role model of, oh, this is what happens when you de- decondition to the level, to this level, to where you just kind of, you watch everything going on, but you also understand that you don't have to like enmesh yourself in it. And I'm not, I'm talking different than like um, Buddhism, you know, Zen Buddhism and, and observational mind. And, and I'm, I'm talking, I'm speaking different than the healthy observational mind practices that we all aspire to. This is in a, this is like a, a DNA thing. Um, and so on one hand, this is my life. On one hand, I have a part of myself that must go try every fucking thing out and fail spectacularly and have the best possible time doing it 
together with this other part of myself that is like, oh, there she goes. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Okay. Great. Go on and I'll see you when you get back. It's very like grandmother toddler. Um, and, and so I feel like it describes this moon and sun aspect as best as I can right now. And it's not very good um, because there is definitely a huge part of me, like even though I know, like on the internal side of me, I know everything. I know everything. I'm at one with everything. I love everything. I, um, I forgive everything. There's not because everything is, is me and I am everything. And then there's this part of me that like, mm, how can I fuck some shit up now? How can I do that? I want in, put me in coach, put me in coach. Come on, come on. I'm just like this, this lab that just has to like go run after the ball. I got to go run after the ball again because I know that in stretching my body and going and, and catching the ball and just bringing it back again, even though there's the that part of me that knows, that consciousness part of me that knows that I know everything, I'm a part of everything, I'm still having a fucking really good time being a little separate, uh, just separate enough to rub up against everything and have all the experiences and get like one, it feels like one last really juicy bite out of life and of this experience before I, I, I you know, before I don't come back, you know? Um, so th- this is happening in my 10th house. And going back to the moon, what have I been describing the moon as up until now? Internal, interior, uh, self, separate, da, 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 da. Well, this part of me is up in the most public. It's the, like my midheaven is 19 degrees Pisces. My moon is 25 degrees Pisces. So it's even closer to the most public part of my chart than my sun is. So what does it mean having your interiority out in the open? Well, this is what it means. What I'm doing right now, I am talking to, you know, and I'm putting out there to literally anybody in the world who wants to hear my innermost thoughts about this and my innermost experiences about this, I'm making that available and I want to make it available. I yearn to connect. I yearn, I yearn for visibility, not... Um, on a lower octave, I yearn for visibility because I think I yearn for fame. But on the higher octave, I, I yearn for visibility because I yearn for connection. And, and I yearn, on an on a unconscious level, I know that six-line consciousness, the role model, because it's called the role model, it's just, it's a fulfillment of that destiny. It's a fulfillment of that expression, rather. I don't even want to use the word destiny. It's a fulfillment of that DNA expression of like, you're just, you're meant to have people, a lot of people bump up against your words or bump up against your experiences. Because hello, on right on the other side of that midheaven line is my Mercury in Pisces. So yes, my experiences, my internal experiences, my moon, 
are meant to be experienced by others mid-heaven through my words, my Mercury pretty much conjunct my mid-heaven. Um, and that is, there's a cycle that happens because remember last week I talked about all that, all those fun planets in my fourth house, i.e. the most private, the most internal area of my chart, maybe not my most private and internal planetary embodiments, that's my moon, but my most, uh, the, the most private area of my life, my fourth house, okay? Again, Mars and Saturn in my fourth house. Um, so I have this, I now have enough chronology under my belt where I, I know my cycles. I know that there is a cycle where I, I cut ties. I cut, I disappear. I have to go into the cave. I, I have to just be by myself, sometimes literally, uh, but I have a I have a family, and so it's a very cloistered time when I go into those cycles. Um, I just kind of do I move slow. I do the the quote unquote bare minimum externally because there is a maximum happening, maximum of activity happening internally, and then I I uh, I I stay there until I don't want to stay there anymore. Until I start getting that itch and that urge to be like, ooh, I want to share this. I want to share that. I want. It's time to kind of go out into the sunshine. It's time to be seen a little bit. It's time to post something on Instagram. Ugh, what do I want to do? Um, and, and then there's sometimes when I want to post that like when I'm way out of the cave and it's like something comes in and it's like, ooh, immediately post it. This isn't. This is meant to come through me, not to me. Just post it. And it's that, that's where that 10th house comes in. And that's where that like mid-heaven placement of like the moon and lesser so the sun, but 10th house sun, um, that comes in. It's like these very hyper-personal parts of me are meant to be out there for all to see. And so this part is squared... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my sun, much more so than my my moon, uh, squared off on my rising. Because my rising is six degrees cancer. And the rising sign is the sign, uh, excuse me, the rising point is uh, astrologically, it's where the, when you, the moment that you were born, the sign that was on the horizon Okay, it was the sign that was on the horizon uh, the moment that you were born. And so it's your rising. That's why they call it the rising sign or the ascendant sign. And mine was cancer. And a lot of folks explain cancer as like your facade or your mask or your persona. And I, I... I'm not going to even waste time agreeing or disagreeing with that. It's just a lot of people, for every astrologer, for every book, you have a pretty much a different <laughs> interpretation. Uh, definitely a different nuanced, but sometimes a whole, just whole different interpretation. My experience of the rising sign is thus. It is, so picture Superman. Um, 
and if you can't picture Superman, hopefully I'm giving you enough of an explanation to where you don't really have to. Um, so Superman was this, uh, he's this alien, and uh, he comes from another planet that, uh, you know, nobody flew there too much. Nobody nobody had the superpowers on Krypton, his, his home planet, that he has on Earth because he... Um, he's a Kryptonian and it's his relationship to the sun. It's how the sun, our sun affects him that enables him to do all of the superhero-y things that he does here on earth. And he, he lands as a baby in the middle of Kansas in Smallville and his, he has to learn these things. He never not, once he landed on Earth, he never not, did not have the ability to, you know, develop, uh, you know, have lasers shoot out of his eyes or fly. He always had that ability. And he had points in his life, his human life, where he had to learn how to use those abilities. He had to learn that he had those abilities at all. And then he had to learn how to use them. And he then... He then developed, once he learned, he developed a relationship with these abilities, with these, dare we say, superpowers, and to the point where he could master them or bring them into their full expression, fullest expression, if we can, I like that language better. I've, so this, the rising sign is number one, it and the planetary the planet or luminary that rules the rising sign is a filter that colors the rest of your chart. So um, since I'm a cancer rising, the moon rules cancer. The moon rules my chart. The, the, I have a, a luminary or planetary ruler of the moon for my chart. So if you don't know that, go look at your, your go find your rising sign. Hopefully you know the time of, of birth. Go find your rising sign and whatever planet rules that sign, that's your planetary ruler for your chart. So at first, so that's like the first layer of the rising sign is that no matter, I've described my Pluto in Libra, my uh, sun in Aries and my moon in Pisces. On top of that, there is a Cancerian wash there is a filter cast over all of these different signs uh, because cancer is my rising sign. And going back to the Superman uh, metaphor, the characteristics and behavior, how cancer expresses themselves are the superpowers that I was born with. And just like Superman, these superpowers are foreign to me at first. <laughs> I did not know that vulnerability, uh, I mean, vulnerability for anybody, because everybody has cancer in their chart, whether you have planets in, them or in it or not, um, vulnerability is, is everywhere, but I didn't know that it had to be my thing. And, um, and uh, for the first, like, uh, until the first Saturn return, 
a lot of times, but definitely in the the fir- within the first three seven year cycles of of life from zero to twenty one. We have almost no experience, no awareness of our experience through our rising sign. Um, And a lot of the times we have this also with our sun sign. Um, We don't, and it, it just depends on the amount of deconditioning around self expression, going back to the sun. The amount of deconditioning you have to do regarding self expression i.e. when you were growing up, how safe was it be to talk, uh, how safe was it to talk back to your parents? How, like, did you even call it talking back Um, or mouthing off (laughs) when just in fact you were just probably, especially as a, a little kid, you were just being a kid. You were just expressing yourself. But was it cloaked in a way that any expression that may have been different from the expression of your parents was automatically a, uh, um, uh, a oh, where are the words, Simpreeti? Um, an objection to their authority, right? A show of force. And so when you were met with negative, I'll just speak for my, when I was met with negative feedback from that self-expression or told to keep secrets because of the part of my history that I shared with you last week, um, told to keep a lot of secrets and, um, and so, or had to keep a lot of secrets, had to keep a lot of hidden, could not express, um, then your, your, expression or your personal experience of your sun sign and to many degrees your your rising sign they're not going to feel like yours until you get into that deconditioning aspect and for a lot of us that first chunk of deconditioning happens after 21 and it happens in earnest during the first Saturn return now If I'm speaking to folks, if you are like pre-Saturn return or new to your Saturn return while you're hearing this and you're listening to this podcast and you've been doing like self-work for any period of time, chances are you you have you have more in your basket. (laughs) You have more resources. You have a higher level of awareness than those of us who were raised by by boomer boomers and um, those of us who who just didn't consider anything, like I didn't even know, I barely knew about my Saturn return when I was going through it. I knew that, I knew the term, that is it. That is absolutely it that I knew about my Saturn return when I was like 27, 28. Um, and so those of you who have resourced yourself in your 20s or you grew up with parents who were conscious and they were conscious parents and they parented in a conscious way, chances are you're able to embody your rising sign and your sun sign uh, a little bit more accessibly than and immediately than those of us who who had different experiences. Um, and, I, and I think about my daughter. Um, she... <sighs> I experience her more, her more as her rising sign than I do as her as her sun sign, and um, and she and I, I just kind of keep that in the language of because she's a Scorpio rising, 
and she has a lot of um she's a lot and a lot of difficulties with sensitivity or she has a lot of challenges with sensitivity and she has a lot of challenges around armoring herself against sensitivity so of course she chose a cancer rising mom to um be born through right and um right <laughs> uh and so I'm able to kind of just presence and give her context as best as I can, as best as I awkwardly can as a human mom uh, for these experiences that she's having. So hopefully she can get into her 20s and get to her, her Saturn return and not have to do the the heavy lifting deconditioning that, that uh, a lot of us had to do who were raised outside of that language and outside of that consciousness, right? We had to like force ourselves into that consciousness <laughs> instead of being born into it. Um, anyway, so the rising sign is this, it, how I experience it is this, this kind of continuous dawning, awakening of you, of your inherent superpowers, of uh, and and this is almost always going to be located for you by your strongest resistances. So where your biggest trigger is, where your highest level of resistance of holding, you know, pushing a a uh, a part of you away for me because it's cancer it's vulnerability just anything that I can fucking do to not be at all vulnerable I'm gonna do it right until the strength wanes and until I just can't hold that wall up anymore and then it gives way and then I surrender to vulnerability and then I fucking realize how fast it fills my cup up and I fucking realize how rapidly, like quantum rapidly, it leads me to the connection that I have been craving. And I didn't know it. That's my fucking superpower. And look at the people around me who are, are just lit up and glowing when I become vulnerable. They're not leaving me. They're not laughing at me. They're not hurting me more. They're loving me more because of my vulnerability, right? And so that translates and throughout the archetypes into whatever your, um, your superpower is, whatever your sign is. So for instance, my daughter, you know, my daughter, she, Scorpio rising, her, her, her biggest strength is how much she feels and how much she is able to alchemize and transmute through the feeling, through the watery, watery depths of Scorpio, through the being known and being seen and being loved. Talk about vulnerability, right? Um, it's almost like the, the armor of cancer, uh, the crab. It gets weaponized within the armor of of the the arthropod um scorpio the scorpion right and because it's almost like the stakes are are bigger and so you've got to work harder to keep the if you're in a um reactive or repressive 
uh, expression of this, the shadowy part of Scorpio, you've got, you've just got to work harder or hide better to, to keep the feeling away, to keep the love away. Um, because at the heart of it in Scorpio, everything is love and everything is, uh, because what, okay, I might get emotional. Um, what, all Scorpio wants to do is transform and transmute. What more powerful expression of love is there than the archetype that looks at whatever pain or death or what have you and is able to say, that is able to be reborn. This is not the end. This is not the end of the, this looks like trash right now. This looks like compost. This looks like refuse. I see rebirth. That's what Scorpio says. And so there's nothing that can fuel that other than love. And so their capacity to love and their capacity to connect and their capacity to see treasure in trash is, I, in my opinion, it's the, it's the greatest of all the signs. Um, or at least it's the most intense of all the signs. And if there is a word for Scorpio, it is intense, right? So, so, um, but this, this, you know, little 11 year old girl, all she has, right. she doesn't have context for transmutation yet. She doesn't have, she's not at that development yet. She is at just the feelings part. <laughs> and, and so of course she like clams up. And, and on top of it, she's a Capricorn sun. So she's, it's not really, it's not easy for her to open and it's not easy for her to be needy. It's not, it's the hardest thing in the world for her to ask for help. And it's the hardest thing in the world for her to be viewed as vulnerable, i.e. wrong. Okay. Um, this girl will argue herself into um, into anything, literally anything. Um, and it's hilarious and it's fun and it's frustrating and it's enraging and, um, and she's amazing. So <laughs> there's that little rabbit trail. Um, but yeah, the right, your rising sign, as you get older, trust that your rising sign and your sun sign, both these very different areas of, of expression and experiencing, become a lot more accessible to you and they just fit better they the longer that you're in the body the better they fit okay okay so my voice is beginning to give out and my body is telling me that that is all for today <laughs> so um i again Y'all know me by now. If you've been listening since the beginning, I have all of these grand plans to fly through all of these uh, planetary bodies and all of these aspects. But honestly, I think my my greater service is to go deep. We're not meant to go shallow and broad through this process, apparently. We are meant to take it little by little and go as deep as fucking possible. So I hope you enjoyed this deep dive through part two, not of two, but apparently of three, uh, through the chart. Uh, we covered the moon and the rising sign, and we're going to pick up uh, next week 
with the personal planets, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. And I would like to say that I promise that these, you know, the, the, the planets are going to go a little bit faster than like the big one, like Pluto and the big points, like the nodes and the luminaries, like the, the big three, like the sun, moon and rising, but no promises. Who knows? This might be a five part series. And if it is, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I just am. That's, um, that's not, that's, that's very cruel in, and, uh, inhuman, uh, punishment for you. Uh, so I apologize in advance, but um, it is what it is, and I'm getting nothing but great feedback from y'all, so I really appreciate your patience. I hope that, again, my personal experience of my personal chart is giving you vocabulary and context and some meat for you to be able to reflect back on your chart. I want that more than anything, and that's the, that's the whole intention here. Um, so once again... Thank you so much for listening. Uh, If you are diving into your chart uh, and you have questions, please hit me up. DM me on Instagram, Sampriti Life, and uh, maybe consider uh, making an appointment uh, for a natal chart reading or a transit reading if you are a return uh, client. Um, If you would like to make an appointment for uh, you and your partner, or if you'd like to make an appointment for uh, a reading of your child's chart, uh, then hit me up, astrogeomantica.net. Calendar for my books for May uh, have been open for a few weeks. And books for June, I'm hoping to open by end of next week. Um, I should be getting that schedule shortly. And I, again, thank you all for being here. So that's it for this episode of Astrology and Stuff. You can come back each Wednesday for new episodes, and you also have a way to get weekly bonus episodes on my Patreon page. Just search Astrology and Stuff Podcast. Bonus episodes are weekly peeks into the planetary transits where we can get into the astrology of that week and how that may be affecting you in your neck of the woods. Each episode of Astrology and Stuff is written, recorded, edited, and mixed by me, Simpriti Ireland. The music you hear is an original work by Angel Wing. And again, thank you always for being right here, right now.